Good morning, everyone. One of the things I like to do when I travel is to wander. I know some people like to register for a specific tour and be uh, told where to go, jump off, jump on. This is what you need to see. But in addition to doing that sometimes, I like to wander between the streets and look at the faces of people and experience how they live. Walk into a random grocery store and experience something that is maybe a little out of the ordinary to really get a sense of the country or the people that you visit. I have a few examples of these. Uh, I went to visit Tyre, the area of my background, Tyre um, in Sidon, the southern part of Lebanon. And I sat by the shore and I noticed the fishermen coming in and coming out. And I realized, as my father told me, that my grandfather was a fisherman. So I was imagining him walking on the same shores. And also remembering in the Bible the stories of Tyre and how Jesus probably walked these same shores. So I continued to wander around, and providentially I bumped into a sign that said the Melkite Catholic Cathedral. And then I continued to wander inside. The doors were closed, and I tried to look into different windows around the complex. And I opened one of the doors, and there right in front of me was the bishop. Hello, Sayyidna. And we had a great conversation. If I decided not to wander, I would have never um, bumped into him, found the church, or been able to notice how people live. Another time, which was a little more dangerous, was when I was in Jordan, Amman. I decided to walk around downtown Amman, and I saw a little hill. I thought, well, as an 18-year-old who loved to hike, what better thing to do than to hike up this hill? I hiked up the hill. It was a military complex. <laughs> I didn't realize where I had landed myself, so I naturally, innocently, just walked around observing these tanks and trucks. And, and one guy bumped into me and he said, what are you doing here? I go, I was just hiking and I got up here. He goes, this is a military complex. You're not allowed to be here. He said, sit down. So he taught me how to sit down, you know, the Middle Eastern way without a chair, squatting. And he looked around. He said, as soon as that guy goes in that direction, you walk in that direction without looking right or left. Okay. So that taught me that innocence sometimes leads you to learn something helpful um, as you wander. And a final story, as I was wandering in Aleppo, Syria, Halab, I saw a man sitting on the side of a sidewalk living actually on the side of a sidewalk with a tent above his mat mattress with a little radio playing some nice Arabic music. And right in front of him, as I peeked around to not look very obvious of what he was doing, I saw him eating a watermelon. And that image has stuck with me up until today. I was also 18. I was the same summer that I almost got arrested in Jordan. Luckily, I didn't get arrested in Syria, too. But I looked at this man, and what struck me, and this was an important time in my life where I had left 
a lot of kind of the dreams that I had in high school and enter the seminary. So I just finished my first year in the seminary. I looked at this man right and left. And what struck me and continues to strike me is that I just saw the happiest man in the entire world. He has no electrical bills. He has no mortgage. He has absolutely nothing to worry about. He's sitting there with his house. Nobody's ever going to evict him. And he doesn't have to worry about what to order. He's simply sitting there enjoying this watermelon and listening to this music as if he was the richest, most powerful man in the world. But in fact, he was at that time to me, and I think he was, the happiest man in the world. All these stories are important for us today as we reflect on this gospel. Because in Jesus' ministry, he loved to wander. If you think of a lot of the miracles that Jesus did, he did them in between going somewhere. He was wandering somewhere, and all of a sudden something happened. But in addition to Jesus wandering, he was also very focused. From the time of his birth, he knew that he was focused on the cross. In fact, in the icon of the nativity, we place Jesus in a casket, in a tomb, to remind us that Jesus knew that he came to this world to die and to rise from the dead. So Jesus was not only focused, but he also wandered to experience life in a random and haphazard way. One of my favorite quotes in the Bible, in the New Testament, is what we read today in the Gospel. Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all the rest will be given to you besides. This has been one of my mottos here in this parish. Let's seek first the kingdom of heaven. Let's have that as our top priority. In addition to being getting together, having fun, doing socials, all the other things that we like to do, those are secondary. Those are not primary. What is the primary purpose of us being here? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Why? Because everything else will be added to us as well. And you've seen a lot of that happening. Where the more we are focused on our spiritual growth, the more excited people are to come here. The happier people are. The more programs that we have that are actually founded on the Word of God, the more that spreads to harmony and friendship and love and respect among other people. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Everything else will be added to you. This is very difficult. An accountant once told me here in California, he said the system in America is set up to keep you broke. Keep you broke with very little payments, $10, $20, $50, $100 payments. At the end of the day, you're not only broke, you're in debt. <laughs> Why? Because we wander without a focus. It's not bad to want these different things, but it's very important to be focused on what is primary and, and whether the things that are secondary help us in that which is primary, or they are distracting us from it. Let us look at a few times in the Gospels where this balance 
between being focused and wandering come into play. When the fishermen were out with Jesus on the boat, Jesus walks on the mount on the water, and then they try, Peter tries to walk on the water, but then he sinks. Why was Peter able to walk on the water in one second, and then why did he begin to sink in the other? He lost focus. He lost focus on Christ. He turned the focus from Christ and the power of Christ to him and his power. He no longer seek God. He, saw, he was afraid of the things around him. We have another beautiful example. Are many, ironically, um, a lot of the courageous characters in the Bible are women. You should really notice how the gospel writers focus on the courage of women and the weakness of men. Sometimes people think it's the other way around, that maybe Christianity focuses too much on men. But it's the only religion, really, that was founded on the faith and the witness of women. Let's look at a few of these examples. In the Gospel of Luke, in one of the times that Jesus was wandering through the crowds, also one of my favorite passages, a woman... This is Luke chapter 8. A woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up and behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her flow of blood ceased. Why is this such a powerful verse and relevant to today? Think of crowds. We are not used to crowds, especially crowds that are present in many countries. The closest that we experience of crowds is what you saw on TV with riots. Most people live like that almost every day. Most people live with that kind of crowd trying to go to a grocery store or trying to get to work. So she saw, and everyone else saw, a huge crowd. There were hundreds of people around Jesus. But she was focused. She had heard of this man who was able to heal both body and soul. And she followed him through the crowd, through the people pushing her out of the way, through everything else that may have stopped her. She didn't want to knock Jesus down. She simply wanted to touch the fringe of his garment. Fringe of his garment. She was focused. Focused on a thread of Jesus. That's how focused she was. She was focused with great precision. Another great example of focused women in the gospel is at the end of the gospel of John, or actually at the end of all the gospels, where the women went to the tomb. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Saying this, she turned around, saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. She was seeking the Lord. She was seeking to care for the Lord, and in caring for the Lord, she 
witness the risen Christ and went to his disciples to proclaim the resurrection. And Jesus asks her, just like he says in today's gospel, seek first. He asks her, whom do you seek? That's the same question Jesus is asking us today. Whom do you seek? Do you seek to be popular? Do you, seem to, do you seek to be right? Do you seek to be very well educated? Do you seek to be wealthy? Do you seek dot, dot, dot? All these things may be good, but seek first the Lord and place those in the secondary position so that they do not compromise your relationship with the Lord. Give you one final example of how not to be focused. Judas was also a very focused man, exceptionally focused, right? The Gospel of John, then Jesus, knowing all that was to befall him, came forward and said to them, using the same words, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, standing, and Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. He was exceptionally focused, right? But he was focused on the absolute wrong thing. And finally, I want to look at this epistle that we read today and think of how, despite being focused, we can go through difficulties, trials, and tribulations, and remain focused. St. Paul says, and look at these verses and these words very carefully. When you read the Bible, don't overlook anything. Don't overlook the commas. Don't overlook the little words. Don't overlook the emphases that are pres presented here. This letter to the Romans. St. Paul says, we exult. We exult. So what should he exult in? Without, if you hadn't read it, maybe that he's an apostle. Maybe that he has a daily relationship with Christ. Maybe he's growing in his faith. Maybe that he's a very a popular um, leader in this early Christian movement. He probably has a resume that would be very impressive, right? St. Paul, the great apostle, wrote a quarter of the New Testament, the greatest Jew, the student of the greatest rabbi who became a follower of Jesus. So what does he say? Does he say, I exalt in this? Does he hand out his resume and say, this is who I am? No. He says, we exalt in tribulations. Have you ever said that? Any of you here? I exalt in tribulations? But then he goes on to explain why. Knowing that tribulation produces endurance. And endurance produces challenge, and challenge hope, and hope does not deceive. So if we were to ask St. Paul, what do you seek? He wouldn't tell us, I am seeking tribulation. He wouldn't say, I am seeking persecution. He says, I am seeking wholeheartedly hope. That's my goal. Hope in Christ. And if tribulation comes, if challenges come, that's fine. Because I am on the road of hope. And I know that on the road of hope and focusing on Christ, things may 
hurt me, things may wound me, things may knock me, but I am focused on Christ. So once again, going back to this gospel, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its justice, and everything else will be added to you as well. Let's look at our life. Put the things before you that you are seeking. Set your priorities and ask yourself whether some of them need to be arranged. There's a saying that the good is the enemy of the best. Sometimes we busy ourselves with a lot of very good things. The fact that we're not in jail, the fact that we, have, we don't have a criminal record is a good thing. But maybe we might be doing a lot of very good things. But what is the percentage of our time that we're spending on seeking the kingdom of God? How much time are we spending praying? How much time are we spending learning something about our faith? How much time are we spending thinking about something um, to do with others? How much are we spending time thinking of um, maybe apologizing, maybe becoming a better person, maybe realizing that regardless of who we are, there's always a day, there's every day, there's always a need to get better. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. This is not only something that I take as a personal motto, but also I hope that we take, continue to take that as the motto for our church. And I continue to also hope that you take it as a motto for your personal daily life and to extend that to your family life. Set those things as a priority and realize that the things that you may have thought are the most important, the people that you may have thought are the most important and worth spending time with or impressing, begin to realize that it's the Lord who is worth impressing. And when we place him first in our life, everything else will fall into place. Not only will it fall into place, it will fall into a place and give us a kind of joy that is deep-rooted, that is rooted in Christ, that is rooted in his love, and is also rooted in the assurance that when we put our hands and our life in the, in the hands of God, he will take us through the storm, he will take us through trials, tribulations, and through all those things, he will give us a very deep peace and joy and a great feeling that we are children, that we are followers, that we are disciples of the crucified and risen Christ. Not the risen Christ, not the glorified Christ without everything else that took place in his life. We are disciples today and every day of that suffering servant that the prophet Isaiah spoke of, who died, was crucified, and rose from the dead. That's the same pattern we hope to live in our life as children of the crucified and risen 